Ethiopia, that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him. You may have a seat. I hope it is you were able to get a handout like this. If not, there's some that are left over back there on the uh, silver uh, podium, and you are welcome to all of those. If there is not one, let me know, and I'll get you, make sure you get a copy. You know, we have studied and read the book of Ruth, and tonight we're going to study and look at the book of Esther. These are the only two books out of the 66 that deal strictly with a, a woman's particular story or particular section of her life. Things like that should be the things that stick out to you. We can read about guys all the time, but here you have two ladies who God thought it necessary to add and to keep in his holy word so that you and I can learn something from them. As you look at your Bible, and as it opens up in the Old Testament, uh, we're, as the pages fall, we're close to halfway through the book. Yet, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the book of Esther all really happen toward the end of the Old Testament period of time. They're not put really in chronological order. As a matter of fact, when you and I read the book of Daniel, Daniel should be in the prophets, right? Check your head this way. But because he lived in Babylon, the Jewish people said he can't be in the prophets. We're going to put him in the other writings. And so it's interesting how these books are laid out for us. The key to this book is providence. Probably the key verse, if you had to assign one, would be chapter 4, verse 14. The key phrase, for such a time as this. Esther happens in a time period in which... The nation of Israel has the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem. Let, let that, that phrase sink in for a moment because what we think sometimes is because they had the opportunity, everybody took it. She didn't take it. She stayed where she was. And so that's going to be interesting as you and I read that. Does that make her wrong? Shake your head this way. No, that doesn't make her wrong. That makes her have the opportunity to choose. For example, everybody knows the Lord's promised land is situated between Georgia and uh, Mississippi. Does it make you wrong to live in hot springs? No. It's just the idea of where you would like to live. This is the only book of 66 books that do, that this book does not directly mention the name of God. Hmm. Does not directly mention the name of God. Now, notice what Matthew Henry said. It's about the next bullet point. He wrote this. If the name of God's not in here, his finger certainly is. We can see him working and, and his providence all throughout this particular book. So as we look at this book, we want to make sure we understand that idea. This book falls really between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Ezra. Uh, the time period's kind of unknown, and the author is unknown, although some have assumed it's Esther's uncle named Mordecai because of the personal nature. Uh, 
Esther's name means star and Vashti. Her name means beautiful. Here's something I found to be interesting. I'm going to put this out here with a disclaimer. I don't know if this is true, so that's why I, that's why I uh, phrased it this way. This book is supposed to have happened after the Battle of Thermopylae. And uh, after that battle is supposed to be when Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, depending if you want to be Jewish or rest of the world, uh, decided to come back and marry. So we have sort of a time frame of what's going on in the book. And we're not, unfortunately, because I was uh, raised properly, and I don't want to keep you here till midnight because I don't know as much as Paul, we're not going to study the entire book. Uh, let's go over it quickly in our minds. We understand uh, Xerxes Ahasuerus is the king of Medo-Persia. He asks Vashti, his queen, to dance provocatively in front of a uh, drunken party he's having and he's been throwing for about six months. She says no. Because she says no, he says, all right, you have to leave. When uh, she leaves, now he realizes he's without a queen and he's going to have to get a queen, and so he finds one, and he picks one out of all of those provinces over which he is um, uh, head honcho, and what, he find, or what we find out about uh, Esther in that whole picking is she's got to be pretty attractive. Well, it comes to find out that a guy by the name of Haman is a worker for the king, and, and he doesn't like es Esther's Uncle Mordecai, because Mordecai doesn't really bow down to him like he's uh, the king over everything else that Xerxes is not the king over. And so from that point in time, Haman decides, I'm going to get back uh, with Mordecai and I'm going to try to kill him. All right. So he gets the king to pass a law that says on this particular day, at this particular time, there's going to be a huge battle against all of the Medo-Persians and the Jewish people who are in the city. And we're going to purge uh, our community of all these Jewish people. He already knows Mordecai's a Jew. Esther's been holding a card back that she's not going to play till just about now to where she comes in uh, and has her own little party where she invites uh, Haman and uh, Xerxes. And uh, she tells Xerxes at that party, hey, I'm a Jew. To which he goes, well, this ain't going to be good for you in December. We got to figure out how to make this work. When Haman finds out that she's a Jew and after Xerxes storms out of her house, Haman sort of throws himself at the mercy of the court. And he begs and he pleads and he tries to get uh, Esther to change her mind and to kind of put in a good word to Xerxes for him. And Xerxes walks back into the room about the time Haman is begging for his life on the queen's bed. That's not where you want to be. Ultimately, it cost him his life. So as we look at this idea, as we have we seen this particular uh, book play out over and over and over again, let's go to the chalkboard tonight and let's learn some lessons in the book of Esther that are just as prevalent in the 21st century as, we already did that one, as um, 
would be even when this book was written. Let's look at lesson number one, chapter one. This is a lesson from Ahasuerus. My moral compass may be completely wrong. His was. Did you know every king mostly before him would call themselves the God king? I guess Ahasuerus may be the guy who just decided that was too long of a title. And so he shortened his to the God. You tell me his moral compass is right. Mm -mm. Here's a man who hires a team of engineers, 400 engineers, to build a bridge over a place called the Hellespont. He wants to go from one side to the other. The engineering on it wasn't exactly right. It fell apart, and so he rescued all 400 of those uh, engineers and then brought them to the side of the riverbank there and killed them. Now, tell me his moral compass is, is all right. Look in chapter 1. Look for just a moment where he lives, and, and we're not saying anything about having certain things changes my moral compass. But as you look at what he has, you begin to see what he's focused in on. Chapter number, chapter number 1, verse 6 and 7. Now, he has some tapestries in his place that are white and green and blue, and they're fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings. Pillars of marble beds were of gold and silver. They were on pavement of red, blue, white, and black marble. He gave, they drank out of golden vessels daily. The royal wine was in abundance according to the state or, or the, the word of the king. At his whimsy, he could order whatever he wanted and have it. Everyone he is around is feeding into the frenzy that not only is he the king, but he's the God. Brethren, his moral compass is wrong because the way he sees himself is wrong. Now, do you see yourself as the God or the servant? There's really only the two options that you have. Matter of fact, it's the only two options given to us within the Bible. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You see her there at the, the base of that tree, sort of looking at it, and the, the, the serpent there says, You shall not surely die. God knows at the time you eat of those things, you'll become a God yourself. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Are you a God or are you a servant? Ahasuerus may live his life and may have lived his life being waited on hand and foot like a god, but there comes a point in time where he takes his last breath and he has to look eye to eye with the God. At which point he finds out his moral compass just ain't right. So I need to figure out what, what makes my moral compass go back and forth. His was extravagance in lifestyle and everyone feeding into the idea that I am the king and I am the God. It's not the only way your moral, your moral compass can be wrong. 
Putting anything above God in life makes your moral compass go haywire. Putting anything in God's position, number one, in priority, makes your moral compass go crazy. And I have to ask myself, what's the most, what's number one in the priority list in my life? Then I'll find out if my moral compass is somewhat right. Notice chapter one. Here's something to learn from Vashti. The easy thing's not always the right thing. There's a party going on that has been going on for six months. And in this party, Xerxes has not held back anything, and he has shown his opulence everywhere to everyone in the party. And I guess it's at this point where he says, you know what, the only thing I haven't seen is my queen. Knowing the king of this particular land, seeing how he lives his life from day to day, when Vashti is told to take off her clothes and start dancing, and she says no, what kind of scenarios do you suppose are running through her head? How quickly will he kill me? Will he take me out and beat me to death or stone me or have me uh, run through with a sword or maybe he'll cut my head off? Vashti chose to do the right thing, even though it wasn't the easy thing. Now look at your life. How many times... Have you made the decisions that I have made to do the easy thing? Is that just me? Okay. Has it always worked out for you? Rarely does it work out, right? The easy thing's not always the right thing. I have written in the front of my Bible that's on the pew there. The moral of Vashti as she makes this decision. Four statements. It's always right to do right. It's always wrong to do wrong. It's never right to do wrong, and it's never wrong to do right. And this is where she lives. Whatever it's going to cost her, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to display myself out there so that uh, your friends can think that uh, you are the greatest thing since sliced bread. The easy thing is not always the right thing. Notice this one. Esther, chapter number 5, verse 1 and 2. Esther's going to have to approach the king here in chapter 5. And he will be sitting on his uh, throne of nobility. He will be sitting on an elevated platform much like uh, this podium is. Maybe even higher. He will be wearing exactly what you think a king would be wearing. He is in the position 
of being the leader and the one to whom the entire nation of Medo-Persia will look up to. And Esther finds herself in chapter 5 bathing. Imagine that. Putting on her queenly robes. And going into this particular room. Just because she looks right does not mean she still has the opportunity to speak to Xerxes. He has to acknowledge her and extend to her the scepter, and then she can speak. But notice how she did not come in there. She just got out of the bed and, and wiped her eyes and just sort of came on in there in her PJs. Or she had been outside working in the garden. She loved flowers, we'll suppose. And she came in there and whatever she had on, a little dirt from her boots are knocking around and, and everything is lovely and the king is so enamored with her that he just looks past all of those things. I want to give you something to chew on. You ready? Two things. One, you will not find a verse in the Bible it says, you should wear a suit and a tie. It's a good thing. That's a good thing. Look at the example we have. What is she wearing simply to walk in front of a king of a nation? And what am I wearing in front of the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Dress for the occasion. Was Xerxes worth it? I guess. If she wanted to be heard, he was. I know the answer to this one. Is God worth it? Understand what's happening here. She's dressing to see the king. That's the occasion. Mordecai, chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, probably the most famous verses found in uh, the book of Esther, where Mordecai says to Esther, uh, you don't have to go in there and stick up for the Jews. And if you don't, don't think you're going to get out of here with your hide intact. And it might just be the reason that you're sent here is so that you'll go in there and talk to the king for the Jews for such a time as this. Let's take a moment and look at God's will. God has a few wills that are found within the Bible. He has a revealed will. 
that he tells us all about within the pages of inspiration, those things that he has revealed to us. He has a will of how mankind is going to be saved, and that's a part of the revealed will. He has a, a, a will of how the Savior was coming into the earth, and that's revealed to us. He has a conditional will. For example, you see David huddled up in that cave in the book of uh, 2, Samuel, uh, 2, 2 Samuel. And he's hiding. To which he prays to God and says this, If I stay here, is Saul going to kill me? And God says, Yes. What does David do? He, le- he changes the situation, doesn't he? If you stay here, he's going to kill you. Yeah, so leave. Those are situational things that change by what I choose. As a matter of fact, salvation is one of those situational. If you will follow me, then I will give you this. If you don't, then I will not give you that. I know that the age of the miraculous, according to Mark chapter 16, verse number 20, is over. And I don't have any idea how the providence of God works. But I can tell you this, it still works today. How? I don't know. I already told you I didn't know. But I know that God's providence is real, that he supplies the needs for those that follow him and those that have those needs. How do you do that? I don't know. Look back in your life and see all of those times that God has provided for you. And while you're in the midst of them, you say, how is this ever going to work? And as you look back, you say, I know exactly how that worked. I couldn't see it then. Was it the providential will of God that Esther be in this time at this place? I think so. Did she have any idea of that? when she was getting ready to go into that room and speak to that king? No. God's providential will is is something that is completely unique, that we have an opportunity to speak to the creator of the world, the one who holds the, 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 the power of providential care, that we have the opportunity to lay out all of our wants and desires before him and have him take care of those things. How does that happen? I have no idea. I know this. It doesn't happen without obedience and prayer. Hmm. Mordecai says God's providence is real, and he's truthful on that. Look at our last guy. Haman. Haman has everything going his way in this particular book. He has the favor of the king. He has the favor of his men who are around him. Everybody sort of likes him, except Mordecai didn't want to have anything to do with him. And Haman has a laser focus on what he perceives as wrong toward him. Chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. Because 
Mordecai is not falling down before me because all these other things are happening. All I can focus on now is what he should have been doing rather than all the good things that are happening around me. You know anybody like that? The family and I went to SAU Tech yesterday. If you don't know where that is, that's somewhere south of here. About two hours. And it has been cold, cold at the softball games before now. Went to this one. It was sunshiny. Can you tell? To which I get home and I say, my face is kind of red. Now I'm focused on the fact that it's just hot and I just was sunburned out in the sun. Not that I didn't have to have a coat or something to put on my feet because it was freezing to death. Not because I had the opportunity to go there and I had the ability to go there and I had the opportunity to see this and to be a part of that. I was only focused on what I wanted to be focused on. You know anybody like that? Haman, instead of all the good things that are happening around him, focuses on what he perceives to be wrong things. So why doesn't Mordecai bow down to him? Mordecai's a Jew. Everybody around him doesn't have any problem with bowing down to him because he lives in a land of idolatrous worshipers. Mordecai is a Jew, and he understands that the God of the Bible is the only God, and he's not going to fall down in front of some man and treat him like he is God. And that flies all over him. And he can't do anything with that other than think about those things. I want you to take just a moment and not think of an orange elephant. And now you're doing it, right? What are you going to be focused on? All the things that should be happening that, that, that you would think should be going your way or perhaps ought to be going your way? Or are you going to focus on God and His providential care? The book of Esther is a, is a, is a book of wrong and right focuses. Heshawir is focused on himself. Vashti focused on what other people would think about her. Esther focused on what God wanted her to do. Mordecai focused on what God would need her to do. Haman focused on himself again. Where exactly is your focus? Here's one more lesson. God cares for his followers. Even today, God cares for his followers. It is not just the fact that God cared for Israel as he would provide for them manna like we spoke about and, and water like we would we'll talk about next week. It's not that he would just provide for them an opportunity to fight back like in the book of Esther. He provided for them sacrifices and, and ways to be sac sacrificial. He provided for them ways to stand before him in the Old Testament as justified as they could be 
without the offering of the, the uh, blood of Jesus the Christ. And today he offers us the opportunity to stand before him, washed in the blood of Jesus the Christ, and completely justified. Think about this for a moment, just for a moment. I have the opportunity, when I'm covered with that blood, to stand before God and have Him say, what sin? I don't know what you're talking about. To have Him forget, wash away, or to, to erase the sin that I have committed. I don't know what the first one was, but I can tell you this. From the point of that first one, there have been many. And He allows me to stand before Him covered in the blood of His Son, justified, on one condition that I stay the servant and he stays the God. That's it. That's what your Old Testament is about. That's all it's about. The coming of the Messiah, is it seen? Well, did the Jewish nation survive? Sure. Since the Messiah has come and has left, he has left in the possession of the, uh, the human race his church. His church that's read about in the New Testament. His church that follows the pattern of those in the New Testament. His church that follows after his will of hearing what he has to say and believing it. His church that follows after the will of repenting of sin and confessing that Jesus is the Christ. His church that follows the principles of being baptized in water for the remission of sins and being raised to walk in a newness of life. And that's the only way. It's the only way you and I will ever have opportunity to stand before God. To look the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in His face. To hear those words that we all long to hear for, well done, thou good and faithful servant. As by me staying in the position of servant and Him staying in the position of God. If you haven't done those things, you need to. And if you've moved Him or you Put those things back the way they belong right now while we stand and sing. Oh, do not.